Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the Idea Fit Pro Show. This is Sandy Webster, Ideas Editor in Chief, and your host for the podcast. I know you're busy, so it means a lot to have you take the time to listen in. Today, you'll be really glad you joined, especially if you love strength training as much as me. My guests today are the legendary Dr. Len Kravitz and Dr. Zachary Mang, and they're here to give you a sneak peek into the most comprehensive package we've ever done in Idea Fitness Journal on resistance training and hypertrophy. It's edgy, 100% research-driven, and has super practical implications for your programming and your clients. Dr. Len Kravitz is a professor and program coordinator of exercise science at the University of New Mexico, where he received the Presidential Award of Distinction and the Outstanding Teacher of the Year Award. He was recently awarded the CanFit Pro International Presenter of the Year, in addition to his many other accolades. Dr. Zach Mang is a postdoctoral research associate for the wellness program at the Los Alamos National Lab, where he specializes in strength and conditioning for structural firefighters. His research interests include resistance training for hypertrophy, oxidative adaptations to resistance training, and using resistance training as a frontline defense to prevent chronic disease. Without further ado, let's dig into this with Len and Zach. Welcome back to the Pro Show, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me today. Great to be here. Yes, Andy, thank you uh, so much for this opportunity. I think we're, we're both very, very excited to be here. Yeah, it's super great to see you. And um, I thought a great way to start this off would be for both of you to just take a minute to introduce yourselves and talk about your roles in research, academia, education, and how that ties to the fitness industry. All right, I'll start if it's all right with you, Zach. Yes, and of course, Dr. K. I was just finished with my master's in teaching group exercise and traveling around the world doing conferences. And I realized I need to get my doctorate so I can really start doing research in fitness and exercise science because I love it. And once I got my doctorate, I said, wait, I've got to give back to the industry. And in the industry, I, at that time, wanted to do as many conferences as possible around the world in the U.S., I started writing for Idea Fitness Journal and, and soon joined Sandy as the editor-in-chief in many, many articles. In my research, I laser focused on doing research for fitness professionals. And in my teaching, I really tried not only to teach exercise science, but to develop leaders in, in fitness, exercise science, and medicine. And, and all of this has been going on for years and years, and, and it just keeps getting better. And it takes us to my, my co-author, who I'd like to share with you just a, a little bit. His name is Zach Ming. You're going to meet him in a second. He did his master's at UNM. He, he was so good that we, we really, really encouraged him to do his doctorate. And he just slam dunked his doctorate. <laughs> he was so good in his doctorate, he got what is called distinction. Very, very rare. It's the highest accolade a person could ever get. His, his work was exemplary. Bravo. And now he's writing for Idea Fitness Journal and doing conferences. So he's taking over. And so I'll, I'll flip <laughs> it to Zach to tell his story. 
And it's, you know, impossible to uh, listen to Dr. K say things like that about you without just beaming. So I'm over here just, you know, he just completely made my day, but um, a little bit on me. So as, you know, Dr. Kravitz mentioned, I got a master's degree as well as a PhD in exercise science um, at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. And uh, that's where Dr. K and I linked up. And while I was doing, while I was doing my PhD, it was just around, around the clock. It was go to the lab to work, collect data for a study, teach a class, take a class, and then you do it over and over again. And so it was there. I learned how to teach. I learned how to collect data. I learned how, how to write. But I think I, I think that my story and my passion sort of dovetails with Dr. K's because the more you get into academia, the more you realize I want to give back. And so that's where, you know, avenues like this, getting to go to IDEA PTI, getting to write um, articles for IDEA, getting to have, you know, these conversations like this, we want to bring it back to the fitness professional. And so what I'm, you know, currently doing, I'm working as a postdoc student um, for um, the wellness program at the Los Alamos National Laboratory, where every day I get to continue my academic work. But what's better is that I actually get to be on the floor with real people doing fitness testing, doing, you know, personal training, strength and conditioning on top of writing and research and, you know, the like. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Well, thank you for the background, gentlemen. And I mean, Len, it's just been an incredible collaboration over the years that I've been working with you and, you know, to see so many of your, your students come through and, you know, author for us. And then, you know, you, you're sort of a kingmaker, Len. I mean, we've got your protege, another protege, um, you know, via Zach. Um, in our fold now. So it's awesome. It's awesome for our listeners also to know the depth and breadth of your experience in exercise research and also to understand the level of expertise needed to bring up the next generation of fit pros. So that brings us to our conversation for today. Um, and I'm excited for it um, to get into this for so many reasons, not the least of which is having the two of you here to teach us all some incredibly interesting things about resistance training and hypertrophy, but also because it tees up what I've been calling the almighty strength package uh, that will be coming out in the winter issue of Fitness Journal in about a week or so. You guys scored the cover feature, uh, which we've titled Resistance Training for Resilience. Um, And I just really want to get into, um, if you can start us off by giving us an overview of the two articles or this whole package, um, I think that's a great way to start. I'll start with the the Lift for Life, Zach, if that's okay with you. And then we'll take it. The the, the feature is the the toolkit, and I'll, I'll let Zach give us because that that's a really uh, an incredible article but but <clears throat> the left for life is action-packed it, it but by the way we co-authored with our our, our colleague graduate student uh, jeremy ducharn on this so it was a team effort all the way thank you the jeremy left for life is three parts sandy the first part is what is hypertrophy from a physiological standpoint? And so we describe what's going on with muscle thickness and changes that occur with muscle thickness. Then the second part, it's a tremendous research review on all the variables that affect hypertrophy. So we cover intensity and all the recent research, rest between sets, volume of exercise, the frequency of exercise, training to failure or or not to failure, 
and and the con- controversy with that, which Zach will really explain today, and then the tempo, which Zach did his dissertation on, and it is a complete research review. But then the third part of this article, Sandy, is why, and, and then we highlight the metabolic effects because with increased strength and increased muscle mass, I'm just going to highlight there's improved heart function, improved mood, better uptake of glucose, improved cholesterol profiles, a decrease in inflammation, a decrease in visceral fat, you know, a, a post-workout increase in burning calories. And of course, everyone knows an increase in bone mineral density. So it's there what happens, why it happens, and how to make it happen in one article, Sandy. I love it. And, and that's also, those are all such important points um, just for human health in general, but in this time of COVID-19, um, especially poignant information. Um, so Zach, can you, um, can you yeah. give us the overview of the feature, the toolkit? Oh yeah, definitely. So uh, what's kind of interesting there is that we wrote the 10 advanced techniques article, the one that's going, that's going to be featured. We wrote that first. But then as we started to write, we noticed, okay, well, how do we explain the importance of pyramid training without having to highlight the importance of intensity and volume? How do we highlight why, you know, drop set training is so, so, you know, beneficial um, and so forth without explaining whether or not you should train to failure? So we got to the point where we noticed, well, this is for the advanced lifter. It's also for the advanced fitness pro who's training advanced lifters. We should also sprinkle in something that covers, that covers the fundamentals. That's where the article came in that, you know, Dr. K just broke down wonderfully. So the 10 advanced techniques is supposed to be, let's call it the graduate student version of hypertrophy training. We got all the basics right. We have the right volume, intensity, frequency, and so forth. But how about that person that maybe is thinking, I don't want to do three sets of 10 today. I want to go a little bit slower with my tempos. Now I want to try some drop sets. You know, I've heard this thing about superset training. Does it work? Does it not? The truth is you'll find all of them work in their own special way. It's just about giving the fitness pro as many advanced tools as possible to use as a jumping off point from, you know, mastering the fundamentals. So um, I think that we cover all the, all the bases with both. Yeah. And I know you'll be, Zach, you will be presenting a lot of this information next week at Idea Personal Trainer Institute in Alexandria, Virginia, our first in-person event in two years. Um, And specifically, you'll be teaching a two-part class on these 10 advanced training techniques. Um, There's a lot to cover here. So, you know, ergo two a two-part class, um, what are some of the methodologies you'll be zoning in on and what do you hope fit pros get from both the article and your presentation? For sure. So the, uh, well, first of all, I'm honored to be given, given the opportunity to be there and I'm very much looking forward to it. This will be the first in-person event that I've done ever since the onset of COVID-19. So I hope to see everyone out there. But the way that the class is structured, I wanted it to mirror the way that we wrote our papers. So for the first 30 to 40 minutes, it's going to be, this is the most current recommendation for set volume, for external load, for rest interval, for tempo, so on and so forth. I don't want to give it all all away right now, (laughs) but it's teaching you. So whether, whether someone learned everything there was to know about hypertrophy training 
up into, you know, 2010, 2012, let's say you haven't read a research article since then, the class can help you because you're going to say, wow, in the last you know decade, all this information has come out to update um, the fundamentals for how to do the, the best you know, training program for muscle building. Or if you're brand new to personal training, or if you're not even a personal trainer, you just love, love to exercise, this can be a class that even if you've never heard of hypertrophy, you're going to take away so much out of that first 30, 30 to 40 minutes. From there, you know, I'm, I'm going to give them a little break so they can walk around, talk and meet, meet some people. Then we're going to shift. And I actually have the second part of the class titled um, Hypertrophy 501, which is to say that now it's the graduate level class. You, okay. just got, you just got the 101. Now this is the 501. And I just walk through every single technique, whether it's, you know, cluster set training, whether it's, you know, superset training, should I change exercises or not? There's 10 of them in every single section. It's simply here's here's what it is. And I actually, and you know, Dr. K is going to jump out of this chair because I actually have videos that show <laughs> what these techniques look like. See, there he goes. I love so it. So it's, you know, what does it look like? What is the science behind it? And how can we use this? So it's, it, it, it's basically a flow. What is it? The science behind it. And then practice, you know, basically one by one. So. I love it. Well, count me in. I'll be, I'll be in your class. All righty. I look um, forward to it. So, Len, of the 10 methodologies discussed in the article, were there a couple that were most striking to you? And if so, uh, why would you say they were? Without a doubt. I, I love them all because I love training. And what was really new to me is the partial rep training, which I'll talk about when we get to them. And, and I'm doing that now. I, I really also was unfamiliar with how to really do the original cluster set type of training. And I think there's some real neat implications with that, but we'll discuss that today as well. And right now, because I work out every day, I'm experimenting. You know, I'm a big fan of eccentric training. We cover that. But I really like the slow tonic training, Sandy. Uh, I, I just fell in love with this 3-3 that we introduced in, in the article based on great, great research by this wonderful researcher where you do a three-second concentric with a three-centric eccentric. And you keep keep going continuously. So you keep the, the muscle under tension. And I'm really enjoying these workouts because I'm normally doing, you know, a, a one second concentric and a two, four or six second eccentric. But I just love the slow tonic training. And, you know, I can feel myself already getting stronger. And I particularly love it with, with core. With core work, it feels fabulous. Yeah. So. I, I'm just excited. I hope so many fit pros try all these techniques themselves because yeah. you can really see how they work. Well, to me, that's the real litmus test right there is when the researcher, the author himself, meaning you, you've gotten in there and you've already incorporated these things into your own strength training regime. Um, I'm wondering, Zach, how about you? Have you ch changed up anything that you were doing with strength training after doing these papers? Yes. Well, first, I would like to say that, you know, Dr. K, you don't have to tell us that you lift every day. It clearly shows. All right. So now you're just bragging. All right. There he is. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. But the two. So, again, I can echo essentially what Dr. Kravitz just said. All of them are just great tools. 
the two that I've been using the most with my own training and then with the um, healthy and active population that I get to train, I um, do a lot of strength and conditioning with the local firemen and firewomen. Mm. And instead of doing, let's say, a six rep max, where you know that the fifth and sixth you know, repetitions are going to be really slow, maybe, maybe your form kind of you know, breaks down, this is where you use a cluster set. So you take that six rep max and you basically chop it up into two, two and two or three and three. So you have that, have that lifter rip one, two, three rep, rep, rep. Then they rest 10, 15, 20 seconds. And then they do repetitions four, five and six. You'll notice that the quality of each of those, each of those repetitions, especially five and six, they're always better. Mm. And so that's, that's why I started to use cluster sets, especially with people who are using heavy load resistance training. Uh, the one that I like the most is not just pyramid training, but um, the reverse pyramid training technique, where instead of doing the same load and same rep range every time, you do your heaviest set first, and then you work, you work your way down. I just feel like because I get more tired as I get to my third, fourth, and fifth set, it helps that the load that I'm using is getting a little bit lighter as yeah. I'm feeling more tired. So yeah, of all of them, I'd say that those, those two are the most, are the most um, impactful for me. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just wondering as a female who really loves to lift and also appreciates the many benefits that that I derive from it, you know, body confidence and just strength and being ready for anything in life, really. Um, I'm wondering if any of the methodologies that you covered would be especially beneficial for women. As Dr. Dr. King, I can... Best to answer, because okay, you're so, working with women. So... <laughs> From what I've I've been able to see is that if you look at the literature at large and you're you know concerned about absolute strength gains or absolute muscle gains, in general, men will always gain a tiny bit more. However, when you express it relative to body weight, especially lean body weight, gains tend to be similar as far as a percent difference from baseline. So that should be our you know backdrop for this. As far as I can see, there's not enough research right now for us to say with a whole lot of you know hope and promise. Oh, if you are um, a male, you should absolutely do this you know cluster set versus if you're you know female, you absolutely need to do to do this drop set. Mm-hmm. Another thought I have there is there's this thought that maybe people should be training based based on their phenotype. So in general, if you had to cast a wide net. Generally speaking, women tend to be more type one oriented compared to men who tend to be type two. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's always going to be outliers where you can look at a population of men that are extremely type one. You can isolate a population of women who tend to be more type two. But the thought is, if you're dealing with a type two athlete, whether they are or type two client, whether they are male or female, maybe they would benefit the most by doing lower reps, higher load training. Mm-hmm. So you're feeding, feeding the phenotype, um, what it, what it likes to eat, let's say on the flip side, if you have someone who's more type one oriented, perhaps, perhaps they respond better to higher repetition, higher volume training. 
Now, as far as whether or not you can isolate one particular advanced training technique and say this is best for men or women, I would say what everyone says, more studies are needed. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Dr. K, is there anything that you want to add there? I think you covered it really well. Oh, thanks. <laughs> okay, good. I told him to say that, Sandy. It's, yeah, well. It's all scripted. You, know, <laughs> you, you guys are a tag team. Um, so next, I, I have a two-part question um, in terms of hypertrophy training. Is there an ideal repetition tempo? That's my first question. And then as a follow-up, are there any unique repetition tempos that exercisers should try to progress their hypertrophy training? And I'm going to introduce Zach for this. He just did his dissertation on this topic. And yeah. I'd just like to just lead in with that. Okay. And so I would like to start it, but you know that Dr. K is the master of eccentric training. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have him finish that one. Okay. But as you said, so my, you know, dissertation focus looked a lot at different, um, you know, tempos of repetition as well as different time, time under tension. It's, I think we should be clear about what is tempo. It's essentially duration of one individual repetition. This includes all phases of muscle action. So if I lower a weight for two seconds and then raise it for one second, that would be a repetition tempo of three seconds. Mm -hmm. As far as what is ideal, there's really good research. There's a, a meta-analysis by um, Brad Schoenfeld and his colleagues. They published it in 2015, where they looked at the literature at large, kind of like a bird's eye view, let's say. And basically, you can, you can lift as fast as 0.5 seconds per repetition. Sandy, that's like me lifting like this. Okay. That's, that's pretty fast. You can also go as slow as eight seconds. So we're talking about down, 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 up, 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 up. That's four. roughly eight seconds. Four and four. That and is your range for hypertrophy training. At the time that they published it, they said, look, the key is to lift to failure or close to failure, regardless of how fast or slow you move you will have hypertrophy. There's a little caveat though, when you get beyond 10 seconds, the literature's kind of hit, hit and miss. So you might find, find a study that says, well, look, Len and Zach, this one, they used 20 second repetitions and they had hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. Another one might use a tempo of you know 15 or 16 seconds and they didn't. So beyond 10 seconds, it's a little bit dicey. But then I always ask people, Next time, next time you're in the gym, try to find more than one person who's using a, you know, rep tempo that's slower than eight seconds. You just don't see it. Um, as far as you said, is there anything that someone should use in order to advance their training? What I always tell people, well, basically two, two things, you know, number one, the ideal tempo might be what you are currently not doing. In other words, Andy, if I had the privilege of being of being a personal trainer, well, A, that would be a dream. But B, it would be if I know that you always self-select a 2-1 tempo, mm -hmm. the classic down, down, up. And you've been doing that for two, three, four years. We can get a lot of return, um, return on investment by having you go a little bit slower or mm -hmm. a little bit faster. So you can use your tempo as a unique form of overload. The other thought is if you know that you can go super fast or super slow, but not too slow, 
consider your other training goals because there's a very good literature that if you're trying to get power, speed, and strength, there is a benefit to intending to move as fast as possible. So I think that all of those things should be, should be considered. Yeah. Now, as and- far as what is the best way to um, advance your tempo to increase, you know, hypertrophy, I think, I think that's where Dr. Kravitz can jump in and talk about eccentrics probably. One thing that I would like to just add with the eccentric training, Sandy and Zach, is when Zach originally did the, this research on varying the exercises, it gave me an idea to vary within the exercise. And, you know, I was going to talk to Zach about this for, for a possible study for us, but just as an pilot study for myself a lot of times we like to do pilot studies on ourselves i am such a fan of eccentric training but i've been trying a technique where we know that a one second concentric with a two second eccentric is very effective for hypertrophy a one second concentric with a four second eccentric is very effective a one second with a six second eccentric is very effective well i've been doing some sets where I continually change the eccentric continuously. So it's a one up, two down, a one up, four down, a one up, six down. All of them have proved to be wonderful for increasing muscle thickness, but never has anyone studied them in this type of of, of sequence. And it's a really neat feeling. And I have done it with most of my muscle groups. And so I, I think there's a new study out there, Sandy and... I'll see if I can't talk Zach into, you know, helping me design it so that we can get, you know, just some new research out there. Yeah, I love the random nature of that. And I love that you're, um, you know, using yourself as a guinea pig. <laughs> we, we, we all do. We, yeah. we all oh, yeah, do. We do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's great stuff. So um, I'll save a slot for that study next next year <laughs> in Fitness Journal when you wrap oh, it up. good. so i have i have another two-part question i'm famous for these um first question is is it necessary to train to failure to build muscle and then to layer onto that um, it's probably helpful to explain drop set training you mentioned that earlier zach and Mm -hmm. you know how can that be included in a training program thank you zach for sure so um again i think it's first clear to well, it's you know vital to make it clear, what do you mean by failure? Well, not you, just like anyone in, in general. That really matters. There's two commonly used definitions. And the first one is um, what's called volitional um, interruption, which basically means you notice that you are tired. And so then you choose to stop that set. The other is called concentric muscular failure, which means you lift completely to failure to the point where you absolutely cannot lift that load anymore. In short, there's a ton of evidence now that training to volitional interruption is just as effective as training to concentric muscular failure. You can think of this as lifting to about a seven to eight out of 10 versus lifting to a 10 out of 10 on every single set. Okay. Ideally, though, you're using a little bit of both. So maybe if you have four, you know, sets of 10 on a bench press, perhaps the first three sets, 
you're stopping when you get to that seven out of eight, or seven to eight out of 10 feeling. On the final set, you can completely blow it out and go and go for the 10 out of 10 effort. Mm-hmm. Just, just like anything, it's you know vital to be aware that there is a range and you should play, play with that range within a session and from session to session. But in short, close to failure, but you don't have to go all the way to failure. That's how I would summarize it, basically. Okay, good stuff. I'll have to try that one for sure. Um, and another facet that really struck me was um, this whole pressed for time thing in life. You know, people are so legitimately time stressed with mm-hmm. so many life demands these days. Um, and as we all know, lack of time is one of the most common excuses for people to not begin or continue their exercise programs. Did you come across any strength training styles that could help our clients save time in the gym? This one's this one's for you, Doctor K. You're the master of supersets. Well, I actually because of your research, you started off, Zach, because you're being a little shy. You're you're really <laughs> go go for it, Zach. He's making and, you work, Zach. Now, there you go. Well, oh, so he, then, he's a, he's yeah. a master of this. So if um you're interested in saving time, it's common to do supersets. And so you can think of, you know, superset training as doing your exercises in tandem instead of doing four sets of one of them and then moving on, you know, to the, to the next set. Right. So if I have planned bench press and row, instead of doing bench, 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 and then going row, 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 I simply pair them. I go bench row and then I rest bench row, and then rest. This is called a reciprocal superset where you're basically pairing a push with a pull. In short, extremely effective, not just for muscle building, but also strength, endurance. You could also get a little bit of a cardiovascular benefit out of that. What matters though, is that you can actually cut down your training time by about 50 to 60%. In fact, um, my colleague Rogelio, he actually got um, a really nice study published out of our lab in Albuquerque, where we, I mean, there's a you know, ton of data, but on average, if you do classic straight set training without supersetting, your session is going to be about 45 to 50 minutes, as opposed to about 25, 26 minutes, whenever you're doing that superset technique. Um, the other kind of superset training, imagine doing the same muscle group back to back, right? Mm-hmm. So you can do um, a bench press combined with a chest fly. You can do a seated row followed by a lap pull down. So um, you're generally fall, um, um, you're generally targeting the same muscle group back to back instead of going front to back, front to back. Both of those techniques extremely effective. They basically allow you to get a ton of volume packed into a you know shorter window that saves you time, but it also allows people to get a little bit of a cardiovascular benefit as well. Yeah, the, the latter of the two you described is the one I'm most familiar with. And it's um, we we use that one a lot in the gym, but I'm definitely going to try the other one as well. Yeah, for sure. um, OK, we have time for one more. Um, what's the difference in fixed exercise training versus varying the exercise training? And why would you select one over the other? Sandy, I'll just kind of jump on that if, if you would. It really is just varying it for variety. And I actually have just a little handout here. I'm going to look at myself because I wanted to give you just a really quick example of 
say I'm doing six exercises, Len Kravitz here, and I'm doing bench press, lat pull, standing bicep curl, supine elbow extension, leg press, and prone hamstring curl, six exercises. These are right from our article, Sandy. And I would do that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for, say, a block, say, a two- or three-week block. But with the variety, and it's just staying with the same movement patterns, but using variety, I would do on Monday that same bench, flat pull, standing bicep, sequence but let me share with you how i would change it with the bench on monday on wednesday i would change it to an incline on friday i would change it to a push-up with the lat pull on monday i would change that to an inverted row on wednesday friday a straight arm pull down on monday with the standing bicep curl on wednesday i would change it to a preacher curl and then friday an incline dumbbell curl and then you see how we're varying every movement with a different exercise Monday, Wednesday, Friday versus doing it the same exercise Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And the research has shown they both increase strength. They both increase no significant difference, uh, hypertrophy, but the participants specifically enjoyed the varying the exercise program. And I think that's so important to the fitness pros right now, because post-COVID, or I don't know that we're post-COVID yet, but we're hopefully starting to be post-COVID. We need to put some new energy into our programming so that our, our clients right now can just jump into this lift for life mantra and, and really love their training. Yeah, I mean, really, from a, a mindset perspective, to to change that program, you know, every time you're in the gym, I think is a thing of beauty. You know, people won't get bored; they'll feel challenged. It feels like you're doing something new all the time. So, I really love that. Okay. I just add on to that. So, you know, Dr. K nailed it. There's also a little bit of research that's coming out now, where not only do people look at um, the muscle thickness of the entire muscle belly. They'll look at one, one part of the muscle, they'll look at the distal, the middle and proximal part of, let's say, let's say your quadriceps. There is a little bit of research that by varying. So on Monday, it's a squat Wednesday, it's a split squat Friday. I'm doing, I don't know, like a, you know, goblet squat or leg press. You actually get better development of the entire muscle compared to just looking at one, one part of the muscle. So that's, you know, something else to consider. Mm, Great point to layer on there. Yeah. So another question I have is um, whether it's necessary to train to failure, to build muscle, and then to layer onto that, um, it's probably helpful to explain drop set training and how that can be included in a training program. Yeah, so Dr. K, I think that I could take that one if you don't mind. Um, it's also worth noting that Dr. Kravitz and I actually wrote a paper for the American College of Sports Medicine talking about training to failure or not and using a science to practice approach for people who are you know, in the field actually doing this work. And so from a bird's eye view, you don't have to lift to failure. But what I mean by failure is a 10 out of 10 effort where you physically cannot complete the final repetition. But just because I say you don't have to lift to failure, that doesn't mean that you should be stopping your sets 8, 10, 12 repetitions shy of failure either. So the question that's a little bit more interesting is how far from failure can I train without sacrificing my gains in hypertrophy? 
the sweet spot seems to be what's called volitional interruption, which means that you are tired and you are choosing to stop the set because you've noticed that you are tired. I know that's kind of a weird definition, but that's that's the best that I can do with that one. But if you wanted to quantify that on a scale of one to 10, this means that you're stopping the set at a seven an eight or nine, which is the same thing as saying you are estimating that you are one, two or three repetitions shy Mm. of true muscular failure. So that would be the sweet spot. It has to be a hard effort, but not all the way to failure. So to the second part of that question, drop set training, it's almost like doing three or four consecutive failure sets without any rest between them. So let's be perfectly clear by, you know, what this looks like. This means that I'm going to do a true eight to 10 rep max. So I do it and maybe I don't fail. I get to volitional interruption. So, okay, that was a little bit tough. Now I immediately drop the load by about 25 to 30%. And then I continue to do repetitions until I get close to failure again reduce the load once more by 25 to 30%. Most drop set studies, they do one, two, or three drops in a row. Mm -hmm. It's very effective, but it's as effective as normal set training. I think that's key because this allows you to save. I think there's a study by, um, I think it's Ozaki um, from 2018. They showed that doing one drop set took two minutes and it was just as um, effective as doing four straight sets of 10. But the key is the four sets of 10 took about 10 to 12 minutes. So now the question is, we know that drop sets work, but when should I use them? Please do not do a drop set on a bench press. Do not do a drop set on a back squat or a deadlift. Any multiple joint free weight exercise do not do drop sets. Save your drop sets for your single joint isolation work, preferably if you're using a machine or a you know weight stack. Do these at the very end of your session. So all of us, the way that we like to structure our programs, we do the big lifts first, but then we have the auxiliaries. Drop sets are great for the auxiliaries because they're going to cut the time dedicated to auxiliaries down from, as I mentioned, 10 to 12 minutes, down to two. This means on my upper body day, perhaps if I'm going to finish with biceps and triceps, I do one very hard drop set for each instead of doing four separate sets of each. On my you know, lower body day, maybe I finish by doing a drop set on the hamstring curl machine or on a seated calf raise or something like that. Just listening to you describe it, Zach, it sounds to me like it's it's a a really demanding, um, oh yeah, sort of methodology. More more yeah. than more than most. I've never done drop set training, mm-hmm. but um, of course I'm super curious about it now. Um, but it does sound super demanding. If you want to get the biggest pump of your life, you finish <laughs> by doing drop set training. <laughs> and see, that's the thing. It's um, there's no such thing as free lunch. So yeah, you can get a really good benefit by just one two minute effort in lieu of doing four, four sets that takes 10, 10 to 12 minutes. 
But because of that, it is going to require a lot of effort, which is why you do them at the very end of your session okay. when it's time to empty the tank. You do not want to do um, a drop set on your triceps and then go do heavy bench press right after that. You flip <laughs> the order. Right. Gotcha. And when uh, is is your paper out, the ACSM um, journal paper, or is it's it due in, out um, soon? production right now. So okay. it's... It's been accepted. They made it look really pretty and it should be in print probably in the next month or so. Exciting. Well, yeah. I'll definitely look for that one. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely. We'll, even if you don't find it, we'll send you a copy. Well, thank you. Um, I look forward to that. So an, another style of resistance training I wanted to get into was um, partial range of motion training. And, you know, what what are some of the ways to perform it? First of all, what is it? Um, and then what are some ways to perform it? And I'll, I'll speak to that, Sandy. Partial range of motion training or partials, as many enthusiasts call it, are training at a partial, or think of it as a limited range of motion as opposed to a full range of motion, only you can do it a variety of ways. And recently there's been, within the last few years, several good studies on this. It's a very effective way of training because it actually has some real physiological merit. And I would like to just share with you one point that, that Zach and I noted in the article. Partial range of motion is not mutually exclusive to full range of motion. I'm going to give you an idea how to combine them both. And we actually recommend that you combine them both. But in the article, we have about eight different ways of doing it, Sandy. I'm going to give you four right now. Let's look at a split squat, Sandy. And we're going to do a partial range or partials with that split squat. Technique number one is, Sandy, in a split squat, let's go all the way down to our endpoint for whoever is doing it. I might have a little higher endpoint than Sandy and Zach might have a lower endpoint than me, but to the client's endpoint, go all the way down and then go halfway up, Sandy, mm. and then continue all the way down, then halfway up, then all the way down so that you're working at that endpoint range of motion, but you're not going all the way back up during this partial training. And Sandy, you would go to near fatigue, not necessarily to fatigue, but near fatigue with this particular style of training. Then let, let's do another split squat example, Sandy. And let's start in our, our standing upright position for the split squat and then just go halfway down. And now we're going to go back up. So we're working at a different range, halfway down and then up. Once again, going to that, you know, seven out of 10, you know, where we're not quite too fatigued, but we're at a comfortable, very challenging type of position. Now, I like that a lot, but I really like this. I've explored with this. And Sandy, I love doing Stay with the split squat example, a full range rep of my split squat, then a half range, and I'll keep it at the upper range of motion, halfway down and up, and then the full range split squat, then half, and do the whole set that way, 
until I reached near fatigue. Really fun, very challenging. <laughs> the research is really good. The physiology, Zach and I could really describe a lot of neat things happening. Wonderful. And Sandy, one more. Remember, the article's got eight, <laughs> eight different techniques. <laughs> one more is the descending ranges. So let's say with the split squat, go down a quarter of the way and up. Then on the second rep, go down halfway mm -hmm. and up. Then on the third rep, go down three-fourths of the way and up. And then on the fourth rep, go all the way, full range of motion and up, and then repeat. So you've got these descending ranges of a quarter, a half, three-quarter, full. Really, it's got a lot of fun to this. And I think the follow-up question is, who is this for? I think for the person seeking a lot of variety and a fun workout of clients seeking that, that type of enjoyment is going to really be satisfied. Well, Len, I was laughing um, when when you said how how fun this is because <laughs> anything single leg with me is sort of the bane of my existence. And so, if my coaches are listening right now, they're laughing because they they know how I try to avoid this stuff. But we do this very thing um, mm -hmm. in training, or, or we've done it, and I can tell you um, that you know, my, your quads will, will not forgive you for a few days after this, but it is very impactful and effective. Not my favorite thing. And I don't consider it fun, but you know, <laughs> one thing I just wanted to add Sandy, and I, I love that Dr. Kravitz used this, the, you know, split squat as, as his, you know, um, backdrop for that answer, because what I notice with myself and with people that I train, especially folks that are stuck at home, or maybe they're a little bit leery to go back to the gym. We know that body weight training is effective, but it can also get a little bit boring really quick. Mm -hmm. So adding the, you know, partial range of motion to a push up or to your split squat or to your body weight squat, if you have a TRX strap and you can do it for your rows and your eyes and Y's and everything else. Um, I just think it's a way to spice up the body weight routine, especially when you're using partials with fulls, which is exactly what Dr. Kravitz just just um, had for us there. Well, and I, I think it also engages the brain. You know, we want people to use their brains and be mm -hmm. very involved in in the exercise, not just, you know, you know, going through the motions of something, but yeah. thinking about, OK, this is how I'm, I'm, you know, maybe altering my tempo or I'm, you know, yeah. And you, you have all these different ways of engaging the brain. And, th and that's mm -hmm. really um, that that really keeps people interested yeah. in their workouts. Great. So great stuff. Great stuff. Um, so finally, um, last but certainly not least, I wanted to dive into cluster set training mm -hmm. and um, understand the different ways of performing it. Excellent. So the you know, it's it's good that earlier we talked about training, training to failure or not because this is sort of what inspired the cluster set training paradigm. Because if you look at the training to failure, you know, research at large, lifting very close to failure, there's no doubt this is a strong stimulus for hypertrophy. But what's also shown is that if you have people trained to failure set after set after set, maybe they don't necessarily sacrifice strength, but they certainly sacrifice power. And that's because power is essentially derived, not just from the load on the bar or the load that you have in your hands or whatever. It's also derived by how quickly you accelerate that barbell during the concentric phase, mm. phase of motion. So if you think of 
So I'll, I'll use that as the backdrop. If I'm doing a four rep max, and, and, I, and I mean a true four rep max where I get to concentric muscular failure, okay? The cluster set, what it does is it allows you to take an um, during set rest interval. So we think of rest intervals as I finish the set and then I take one, two, three minutes, and then I go again. This is a brief rest interval in the middle of a set. Mm -hmm. So considering the four rep max example, this means that I do my first two repetitions and I'm not to failure yet. So imagine I'm doing kind of like a bench press. I can accelerate, boom, boom. And then I actually rack it. And then I pause for 10, 15, 20 seconds or so, take it back off. And now I still have enough in the tank to really push. Mm -hmm. The research is clear. This leads to hypertrophy, but it also leads to better power than doing it the other way where you can imagine if I'm doing that four rep max, my last two repetitions might look like this. Yeah. That's, oh, that's not really powerful because I'm not able to accelerate that barbell kind of thing. So that's, so that's one way of doing it. You do half of your repetitions. So if I'm doing, if I'm doing that four rep max, I can break it up to two and I take a 10 to 20 second rest interval um, in the middle Ponder, ponder one more example. If I'm training with my true six rep max, I could break that up into three, three, and I have 10, 20, or 30 seconds of rest in between, or I can do them as two, two, and two with 10 to 15 seconds between each of them. I mean, that's um, a, such a yeah. efficient methodology to, you know, you're, you're getting the, the power training mm -hmm. as well as, you know, getting some mass. Definitely. And so, this is sort of for someone that you have to ponder what other goals do you have? You could, you could be training someone who says, look, I'm only using resistance training to build muscle. I don't care about anything else, but you might have someone who says, well, I want to be able to walk faster as I get to be a little bit older. Let's say you might be training a really young athlete who's using resistance training as a tool to jump higher, to grab a basketball. Let's say mm -hmm. for me, I train firefighters. And so of course they want to look good. They all, <laughs> they all say it, you know, all of us do, right? Because you mentioned it sure. is important to feel, to feel good about yourself. Right. But yeah. they also want to perform on the drill yard. They want to be able to quickly drag someone away from a, you know, fire scene. They have a power goal as well. Now, where should you use your cluster sets? I wouldn't use cluster sets when you're doing your single joint isolation work. I would say if you if you have your you know training program structured, all right, today we're doing a hex bar deadlift as well as a heavy bent over row. These are the types of exercises that you should be using cluster sets for. Not necessarily your, you know, bicep curls or your, you know, hamstring curls or, you know, whatever, whatever auxiliaries that you have planned. Yeah, this is really just endlessly fascinating stuff. Um, I thank you both for really breaking this down for us. Um, and I'm sure the listeners, as well as me, I'll be, you know, we'll all be out there um, trying this stuff once everyone reads the package. Um, it, the way it's laid out, you know, it, all of these different, there, there's a chart for every single one of, of the 10 styles. Um, and so I, I hope people really get a lot of it. I'm, I'm sure they will. Um, so before we sign off, um, I wanted to have you both tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, um, either through social media, email, other means. Um, and then I was hoping you could each leave us with a parting thought. 
the best way to reach Len Kravitz is go to a search engine and type in Dr. Len Kravitz, because if you type in just Len Kravitz, you're going to go to a musical rock star and you can say, am I at the right place? But if you type in Dr. Len Kravitz, you're going to go to a science geek webpage. <laughs> and once you're at the science geek webpage, you'll be able to find me very easily. Well, you're both rock stars. Oh, you're so <laughs> And my message to fitness pros, I've been thinking about this. I think fitness pros to their clients, I'm a real fan of affirmations. And I think fitness pros should start using affirmations with their clients for adherence. And the affirmation I want to say is, you know, after every workout, you know, a fitness pro looks at their client and we say, every day in every way, I'm getting stronger and healthier. And, you know, say that throughout your day because positive affirmations and you can change them every way. Just like like someone who's just starting out working out, you might say inch by inch, it's a cinch. So that <laughs> we, we give them something to think about that's easy, simple and, and inspiring. I love it. Thank you, Len. Perfect. And uh, as far as getting getting in touch with me, um, I would say email is probably best. Um, you could you could Google my name, but I'm not sure if I have quite quite as many publications or videos. And, you know, Kravitz has an entire website where it's just basically a museum of everything he's ever done. And it's just most impressive. I'm telling you, if you study anything X is related and you just type in, you know, mitochondria or something. One of the first hits on Google is Len Kravitz at UNM.edu. You know, it's just it's just so funny. Right. But. Um, for me, you can reach me on my school email account. Uh, it's still it's still up and running. Uh, running um, Z M A N G at U N M dot E D U. Um, I also have a work email account that I you know I'm very very active with. It's um, the same Z M A N G at Lanl, which is L A N L dot gov. And as far as a parting thought, I, I, I don't know if I can top the inch by inch. It's a cinch. I mean, that was just outstanding. <laughs> we should have flipped the order that we did these. But, you know, I'm, I'm big on the tools in a toolbox kind of analogy. And I know that whenever you get exposed to all of this information, it's like, oh, my gosh, I need to go try 20 different things at once now. I think the best way to approach this information is to first understand the reason why we wrote both of the articles is to have the fundamentals first and then you and then you can introduce some of the you know advanced techniques um and if you're curious about what you should do next let your client guide you mm -hmm. because you might try a drop set with them and they might say well i didn't really like that okay next time we're going to do um a superset instead and they love that well the research is going to tell you that both of those work but your client just told you what they like right let's go with that too so always, I would say all of these, it's just tools. It's just tools um, in the toolbox and let, you know, let the clients, you know, preference guide you. I think that, I think that you can't, you can't really miss with that. So right on, we, we call it personal training for a reason, right? Oh, one, yeah. one size fits one. 
Yeah. Well, th- thank you both so much for writing such a fantastic package for our winter issue. Um, that's going to be out in, you know, by the end of February, everyone. So look for that in your mailboxes soon. Um, and also, thanks for taking the time today to share some of the highlights. Um, so we, you know, to whet everyone's appetite for what's to come. It really is. Uh, it's truly a, a game changer. And I encourage everyone to read it. Um, Zach, I will see you in about a week at Peak. PTI and Len, I hope to see you and Zach at Idea World Convention in Las Vegas, July 2020, 20th through 24th. And in case you didn't know, this is Idea's 40th anniversary celebration, and it's going to be quite a party. So I'll look forward to uh, to kicking up my heels with you guys there. Wow, that'd be great. <laughs> All right. Thanks Andy, again. I just, I just wanted to say thank you and thank you to all the, you know, listeners and readers at Idea. Um, this is something that, uh, you know, Dr. Kravitz and I, we don't take lightly. We value your time and attention and everything. It really is a privilege. So thank you. Oh, it's, it's been a treat. Absolutely, my pleasure. Sure. Take care, guys. All right. Thank you, you so much. Bye, Zach. Bye. <laughs> See you both. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Len Kravitz and Dr. Zach Mang regarding the amazing content package they put together for the winter issue of Fitness Journal. As mentioned, you can also get all of this information and more by joining us at Idea Personal Trainer Institute next week. Dr. Mang will be presenting the information in person, and you can ask him all of your questions if you can join us on site. In addition to Zach's session, you can choose from 100 sessions on topics like diversifying your offerings so your career can weather any storm, how your identity prevents you from seeing success, and what to do about it, and much, much more. Plus, Idea's first ever Personal Trainer of the Year, Sherry McMillan, kicks off the event with an empowering spotlight presentation on how to become more resilient in your personal and professional lives. It's time for our fitness community to rejoin and develop fresh strategies to support our clients and build unbreakable careers for ourselves. To learn more about IDEA's first in-person event in two years, visit ideafit.com and select the events tab or call an inspired service representative directly at 800-999-4332 extension seven. We sure hope to see you there. This is Sandy Webster signing off. I hope you have a wonderful week. And as ever, thank you for all you do to make the world a healthier, happier place. Please reach out to me or the content team at content at ideafit.com if we can help you with anything. The IdeaFit Pro Show is part of the Outside Inc. podcasting network. Many thanks to our executive producer, Jordan Leeds, and our engineer and editor, Mike Hilding. Copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Reproduction without permission is strictly prohibited.